Let's go. Hello and welcome, or should I say, Bienvenidos, mis damas y caballeros. Sorry, I can't do this. You are listening to the Uncut Gems podcast, a weekly show where we talk about movies nobody else wants to talk about. This is episode number seven, and my name is Jakob. I'm Carson. And today we are in a bit of a slimmed down roster, so um, uh, Nicolo and Jack and you are not, are not with us today. However, we have a uh, another sort of special guest um, a fellow clapperite um, who's joining us today, um, uh, Hilary White. Yes, hi, hello. <laughs> um, right, so thanks for uh, tuning into our show and glad to have you with us. So I don't have any housekeeping updates to share. However, I think Carson may have something to say. Yeah, very minorly. I was listening to the Glass episode. You mentioned in the beginning how Criterion's been ghosting you, and I thought that was pretty shitty of them. And I thought maybe it's just because, you know, one voice isn't enough. So I went ahead. I emailed Criterion also this week to get the Black Sunday Criterion edition. So you have two voices on this. I encourage anyone out there listening to email Criterion. I think if we get enough voices, it might work out. But I was like, oh, they can ignore one voice. Can they ignore two? Let's see. Well, probably probably can <laughs> but yeah that would be yeah. very very nice of you very very nice um hopefully black sunday will one day see a blu-ray release maybe even a 4k release any release that's not the dvd will be great i even lied and i said it was a masterpiece in my email so it, there it is. It, you didn't lie you just you know you, you said the truth that you don't agree with. <laughs> anyway, um, so last week we discussed M. Night Shyamalan's Glass and what a discussion that was. So almost four hours of a heated debate that included everything from well-reasoned arguments to exple- expletives shouting and fantasizing about strangling at least um, one host who may or may not be speaking right now. Because um, I have a feeling that you now Carlson, there was one, there was a one moment where he just said, "Okay, if I was, if I wasn't on Zoom, like this guy would be dead right now." Uh, but yeah, but that's all hopefully behind us for now. Um, this week we have gathered to talk about a film that is a bit more grounded, subdued, maybe, and for lack of a better phrase, in touch with the real world. Uh, so, as the topic of today's episode, uh, we have chosen. Tommy Lee Jones's directorial debut, The Three Burials of Melchiades Estrada. I'd like to ask you a favor. Anything you want. I wanted to ask you if you can shoot me. My son ain't coming back. How are you come back? No. He told me he had cancer. And he told me to go back to town with him. But I don't want to go, because I've always lived here. Well, we can't do it. I don't want to offend God by killing myself. It's a problem. We don't want to offend God either. 
written by Guillermo Arriaga, who's known for uh, his work with Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, but on, um, among others, Amores Peros, uh, 21 Grams, and I think Babel as well, uh, and directed by Tommy Lee Jones. The Three Burials of uh, Melchides Estrada employs the screenwriter's characteristic fragmented storytelling manifold to weave a story about a Texan farmer, Pete, played by Tommy Lee Jones, who one day learns that his friend, a young Mexican immigrant, Melchiades Estrada, played by Julio Cedillo, I think his name is, was found murdered in a shallow grave somewhere in the wilderness. He embarks on a quest to find the culprit and return Melchiades' body to his home village of Jimenez in the vast expanses beyond the US-Mexico border. So I will stop talking for now and let's just go around the table, share our initial impressions and then, well, let's see where this discussion takes us. So who wants to go first? I don't know, maybe I should, because I'm the newbie. So it yeah, seems sure. like you would be subjected to uh, that kind of uh, opportunity slash punishment. But uh, I was telling you before we started recording that the first time I'd seen the film was just a few months ago. It was one of those films that I was curious about, but I guess when it came out, it wasn't readily available or it slipped through the cracks. I didn't regret watching it. The moment I started watching, it, I was just like, this is so... I don't know. I guess it's kind of my speed. Sometimes my my taste in things are a little bit slower. But I think what I appreciated about the most is that it's very, it's somewhat surreal, but still grounded in reality. And it's more about loyalty than logic. And overall, what stuck with me, especially the first time, was the amount of devotion Tommy Lee Jones has to this man he was friends with, which is such an incredible <laughs> display of friendship. I just, uh, usually how friendship is uh, portrayed on screen is, you know, while it's happening and this is all kind of retroactive, his friend has been killed. Um, and he's so incredibly loyal to him. The film's more about loyalty than logic. So just having to bring this dead body um, and trying to get it back home to bury it I think the concept of that stayed with me the longest. And also I even researched this last night. I was trying to figure out who specifically was in charge of the prosthetics for the dead body. Cause that really blew my mind. Um, I think it may have been a company called Harlow effects. And I looked them up and I was really stunned because the other effects work they had done was mostly for Buffy the vampire slayer. I was just like, there's no nothing that could have prepared me for that. I wouldn't have been surprised if the people who were involved actually went to body farms to research uh, decay and what a body actually looks like in different stages while it's um, rotting and decomposing. If you guys aren't familiar with body farms, it's a place where um, scientific experts go to study bodies. Usually um, unidentified bodies are dumped there or you can have the choice yourself to make that you can have your body put there um, for scientific study after you expire. Uh, but yeah, I was absolutely thrown by uh, how they depict death in this movie. It's not really a way that you see death or see corpses in a film, and it's still done in like a compassionate way. So those are my opening remarks for now. I'm really interested to hear what you guys thought about it. 
yeah, I mean, I love this film. I really, this was my first time watching it and I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, obviously, Tommy Lee Jones has proven himself as an actor and in the film, he proves himself again as a director. I think he brings a wonderful direction here. Such a compelling, emotional, but brutal story with so much to say when you really boil it down. Um, I'm going to say, quote unquote, the air, air quotes, friendship in this film is really beautiful. Um, you know, I think I maybe it's just me, but you know, maybe there's something deeper there. Who a, knows? This will be a topic for of discussion, I think, at some point. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I really love this film. I think there's a lot of really clear influences. Specifically, the ones that stick out to me was As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner, a novel I read last year. Um, I despise, I don't like Faulkner. It's a personal thing. Um, but I think this takes the ideas and presents it in a much more, okay, okay, yeah, I don't like Faulkner, okay? I can I can dislike someone. Um, I just but... made, Okay, for the listener out there, I just made a face. <laughs> <laughs> it made the most judgmental face I've ever seen Yaka make in my life. I was um, laughing, but I was muted. <laughs> no, you yeah, know, you he, can say, "Oh, I don't like the Godfather," but then, <laughs> and then just okay. Well, so, okay, never okay. mind. Okay, everyone, okay, everyone's entitled to their taste. Go on. Okay, <laughs> English major Faulkner writes super, super long sentences, super boring, super hard to keep track of. Not that engaging. Not my thing. If you like him, peace and love. Have fun. Um, yeah, no, I. But to circle back to the film, really love the film. I think this is damn near close to a masterpiece um yeah I, I really loved it i'm actually super happy to hear that because okay well i should i should probably just preface uh, everything because um as we were discussing the ideas for the episode carson of all people was, was saying maybe i should sit out the uh, three burials episode because i don't really like westerns and i said well it's not really a western but it kind of is but it's not really because it's not you know a period piece of any kind, it's like I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm torn. And look at you now, look at you now. Like you've discovered something that you now are properly. It's in not love a with. western. It kind of is. Well, I meant period piece western as far as like what I don't like. It's, I've it, talked about it before. News. I mean, of the world. I think the, I don't want to say it's a proper proper term would be neo western. I think of what what it is. Anyway, so um, back to initial impressions. I've seen I've seen this some like some while ago because as you may already know, I'm I'm an old fart. And um, <laughs> I've seen I've seen things in the past that you know like okay well, never mind. Um, uh, so this was my second time seeing this film, and um, I'm I I've I've had I've been in love with this film for a very very long time, and then now I'm almost reassured that yeah you know, my my love is as strong as it was. It's not the it's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I, there are certain things you could pick apart especially on a technical level but i don't think it's one of those films that actually just invites that kind of analysis because it's um it's built for a different reason and and my sort of love for this film actually is um smuggled through uh, the person of guillermo ariaga who wrote this because i came into uh in my formative years as a as a film lover was where sort of uh, filled with sort of the early Tarantino and then um, like Kevin Smith, Coen Brothers, and then films like Amores Peros showed up on my radar. And when I saw that, I was absolutely enamored with that kind of storytelling. For some reason, it's into like Amores Peros and uh, Requiem for a Dream. I watched them as a teenager, and then so they were very important to me. And then this is kind of continuing the sort of um, 
philosophy of storytelling that Ariago has been consistently employing throughout his screenwriting career of employing these fractured, fragmented narratives and centering them uh, um, around particular point in in a story or a person or and in this case is um, he's he's weaved this sort of story about that's centering around the corpse, which I I've dug out a little bit of a. Uh, so these are my opening impressions. I'm 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 in love with this. So I'm like, let's just move on to this. So I've dug out a, 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 an old review by um, a Guardian columnist, who in his opening paragraph he specified that Tommy Lee Jones wanted to direct the film. And by the way, this has been uh, shot almost entirely on his ranch, I think. So like most of uh, these sort of natural landscapes in there i think that they all they, he owns a lot of land i suppose um so uh he reached out to guillermo ariaga and asked him to write a, a screenplay for him that would celebrate the area of texas that he feels at home with and then the area of mexico that he has sort of familiar bonds to i think um so he so so i'm I, I was almost sort of taken aback by the fact that it's kind of the other way around than I thought it was, because I actually thought this was a script that he picked up and directed, but it was the other way around. And it actually also, I don't know, baffles me that he then spent almost 10 years not directing anything, especially that he directed with such beautiful subtlety. Um, however, what I wanted to say is, I don't know how about what you think, um, especially in terms of like this film came out between 21 grams and then and then Babel who actually earned Ariaga his Oscar I think for screenplay um, how how you guys um, are perceiving the sort of story because the story itself I, I think in in my mind is almost irrelevant what happens in there it's just because it's almost purely symbolic so uh I don't. I don't want to share my thoughts just just yet because I don't want to sort of inform the discussion. But say, what do you guys think about the sort of narrative in there um, of these? I want to say two men uh, dragging a corpse across the land to uh, to to give a man a proper burial. Because is, is, is what are your thoughts on this? It was funny because uh, uh, last night before uh, I, I sat down and watched this, I, I, I briefly saw some friends downtown and uh, I told them <laughs> the basis of the film. I was saying it was really a lady. I don't know. I said it was really satisfying to me. The idea of someone who takes a life being forced to reckon with it in a really long, grueling journey. Um, and realizing that he killed a, a human being and really, really having to reckon with it. And I mean, especially because, uh, I mean, watching it again, it wasn't so um, spelled out, but the way I described it, it was like, well, it's like this guy who's pretty racist has to like reckon with the idea that he killed an innocent Mexican man. And like, really, really, really just it, like Tommy Lee Jones just puts him in the ringer. So that was really satisfying for me to watch personally. Um, I mean, the idea of revenge. Or you know, the idea yeah, of atonement or forced atonement. Where I was I, I okay. actually thought sometimes during the scenes where he's forcing him to do things, I thought, if this happened to people who murdered people, like real like really putting them through this, 
it would be different than sending them to prison where it's like, you do this, then you have to do that. And I don't think that exists in our culture. Maybe in other cultures it did um, centuries ago, where it's just like, if you took a life, then you had to suffer uh, in a way. But I think that was, it was that that stuck out to me the most, particularly with the story. And that's anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I think this is really where the weight of the film comes in in a very unique sense, even in the terms of like on camera, you know, we see death so much in movies. It's not necessarily even a big thing. Someone gets shot. Okay, whatever, you know, go watch John Wick. You'll see 3000 people die. you know, who cares? But like, you really have to sit there along with these characters. And as this body just like kind of slowly falls apart, it really becomes very, very compelling and it becomes very, very powerful. And there's such a heavy weight to it that is never fully resolved because at the end of the day, no matter where you bury this man, he's still dead. It still is that corpse. It still is a loss of life. And I think this film really skillfully sits with that and really skillfully has that way, not just on the characters affecting the characters, but also on the audience themselves and I think it plays with that expectation and plays just a lot with the idea of death and what that means and what it truly represents and I think it's very very powerful oh yeah so um, I'm okay well, I totally agree with all of these things and I'm, I'm actually super happy that I'm not the only person who's kind of noticed this because I, I, I tried to sort of gauge if, if I'm out of line in here or 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 something but I kind of take this almost purely symbolically as in um, like the the sort of journey. Okay, to summarize the plot, I mean the the plot's a bit. Weird. There's no real plot in the story, but there's this sort of four, yeah, four different characters, kind of em embroiled in this sort of situation where um, Barry Pepper's character accidentally kills uh, Melchiades Estrada, which is a friend to uh, Tommy Lee Jones's character, and then Tommy Lee Jones finds out who this was, and then there's a little bit of an intrigue because the police is kind of just not interested because well he's a mexican and he's undocumented so they even well i think they very profusely they refer to him as a wetback which uh, i think is um a considerable slur you, you even at the time i think it was a considerable slur oh yeah um, so because it's what from 16 years ago but anyway um and they he take he finds Barry Pepper and then he just takes him on this journey. But but then when when I think about this, all these characters, they're when I when I started this in my opening gambit was basically just well, this is a film that's a little bit more in touch with the real world, but not really, because these people are not sort of real people. They're made to uh, exemplify certain types, I think. Um, and then it dawned on me when I w was watching this very particular scene when you. I think it's almost when you meet, not when you meet Barry Pepper's character, but um, when he com comes back from his first patrol after he uh, punches um, punches a, a family of Mexican illegal immig immigrants. He punches a woman in the face and breaks her nose. And, and she then later on comes into play because everything's kind of symmetrical in the film. Um, but he comes back home and then you see him on a lazy boy armchair digging out dirt from under his toenails with a knife and smelling his fingers, walking across the house to the kitchen where his wife, played by January Jones, is watching television and just pulling her underwear down and then mounting her and, and then just for for a brief 15 seconds as she, as she just, she's inconvenienced by this and then and he just walks away. 
So you know that you, you're you're not dealing with like this. People, real people are not like that. You're dealing with a symbol of something that that you're supposed to think this guy's gross. He's despicable. He's a horrible human being. And then this is his in starting point for this journey. And I'm just thinking, okay, well, I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at um, journey to atone for his sins because just killing the guy, a guy is not the only thing that he's uh, he's sexually frustrated. He just every every, every time he gets. To, that no one's looking at him he opens the same issue of hustler and um and masturbates like this is like he's he's a very sort of deranged human being so and everyone's kind of made up to, to of of very sort of de definite emotions like i think tommy Lee jones does not really have a flaw he has righteous anger driving him but he's predominantly good melissa melissa leo is kind of like the um i don't want to say like mary magdalene or something like this like to me this is all displays like a biblical story this is this is to me um highly symbolic sort of tale of uh atonement and r righteous revenge and um you don't ver see ver films like this these very often and when you do they actually end up com almost completely forgotten and this is what i think this is one of the reasons why we talk about this because this film got attention at the time. I think it still stands at like over 80% on, on Rotten Tomatoes and then audiences, whoever saw it, liked it, but no one really remembers it because these films kind of just fall off the radar for some reason. I can't possibly figure out why because it's just such a beautiful well for, for discussion to me, at least, I don't know, on so, so many multiple levels. And then I, I was sitting down trying to figure out, okay, well, how to drive this little conversation and then... There's like a whole host of perspectives you could attach to this film and just tells you that you're, you're witnessing something something special, doesn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of going back to two points that you guys have also brought up. I mean, first, there's the writing. I wasn't aware that it was the same writer who had written um, Amores Peros or um, 21 Grams, which makes a lot more sense because I noticed a lot more time that the timeline was fragmented. And I think for some people that might be very troubling or inconveniencing to them They're like oh like everything's out of order I don't like this um, um but it really does fit with that guy's style and then I think a little bit I remember reading a little bit somewhere that it was written in the manner of as I lay dying like that was an inspiration for the story and I think a little bit of Dante's Inferno too like a kind of like a descent into <clears throat> a descent to hell maybe more for Barry Pepper's character Mike Norton more than uh Tommy Lee Jones, like Tommy Lee Jones is like the impartial guide into that particular person's version of hell, which is being, basically being dragged into a culture that he doesn't understand or like um, and thinks he's superior to. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Uh, but I, I didn't think about it as a religious allegory or any of that kind of stuff until you brought it up and it, it does work. I don't think it's necessarily the way that the, I see the film, but it it's just kind of goes back to what you said, that it's a well of all these different interpretations. I agree, because the themes here are pretty, like, even though I think this has a very clear stance on, like, racism within the United States, and I think that's much more of the focus here. Uh, I mean, the entire sense of just, like, having to come to terms and kind of with something that... Um, you think not not just that you think you're better with but better over but something that you're uncomfortable with and having to come to an understanding with it i mean i think that is universal enough to where you really can put a lot 
of metaphors and a lot of like understandings on there, even in a queer context, you could put, you know, understanding there on homophobes, you know, understanding coming to terms with uh, the gay, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. Like there's a lot here, like depending who you are, that you're personally going to put on this film. And I think it's beautiful because it works both. I think it has a clear message and clear voice it's saying for itself, but also then it's also having that universal message that you can interpret however you want. So I think that just goes to show the strength of the screenplay. Yeah, I mean, well, before we get to the, I don't, I don't want to call it the elephant in the room, but um, you just touched on the sort of political aspect. Of, like, there's like I could actually just shelve my sort of po- like religious allegory, like the sort of biblical parable about um, um, the crime and punishment, uh, and then say okay, and see it almost explicitly as a political statement. Uh, sort of indicting the, the sort of sense of superior, superiority that's kind of just ingrained in some parts of um, certain communities just on the basis of where they're born. Because, you know, if you think about this, like Mexico and, and in the United States are separated by a river. And then on, on, on which side of the river you're born determines quite a lot about your life. And then it's completely arbitrary if you think about this like you're cultured differently and then you're you're told that you can achieve different things in life and then you're given different opportunities and then it's just unfair top to bottom and then there are people sort of embroiled in this who just feel the sort of righteousness that they 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 can enforce certain things on behalf of someone else is like barry peppers just feels this is his job to protect this country from people that he thinks are quote-unquote vermin right so he just treats them like animals. And there's a brilliant scene where just they round up these sort of um, the immigrants who just quite, are quite literally just, you could, you, if, if you refer to them as wetbacks, they would, they would be quite literally just where this sort of the word comes from. I think this is how Ariaga wrote this to kind of just make sense because they emerged from a river, I think, almost. So it's, and then like they're rounded up and they're being told, like they're just basically just treated like animals. And then, um, Jones, uh, Tommy Lee Jones points a camera on a certain uh, uh, short series of close-ups of their faces and they're so beautiful people it's it's just amazing to me and then by the way I think cinematographer on this um, what's his name Chris Chris, uh, Menges he's also uh, his work is brilliant in here I guess but you know the the these little moments he can he can show that there's there's a political statement and there is a political agenda behind the film that's supposed to tell you uh, how you know life is 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 so much so much richer and so much better than than just how where we're born and how we're cultured and what we look like and then we're all um, for lack of a better word children of the same god right like if you think about this in cultural terms because we're all come you know we're all we're all the same in un- underneath anyway so he's kind of trying trying to tell you that you know um uh because i'll oh, say when the guy oh, I'm, I'm babbling now fucking hell. uh <laughs> no but the guy the guy the, the guy dies and then they, they 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 put him in 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 like i don't know like a communal grave like they don't they tr- don't treat him with respect because of the fact that he's an undocumented migrant and this sort of theme kind of per- persists in there so and tommy lee jones's character pete this this whole quest is to show someone who's who's ultimately disrespectful to other people who are who he feels are inferior to him to show him that these people are people too and they're 
beautiful and they're smart and they have their own culture and they deserve respect because that's all that's all that's all i think that tommy lee jones wants to do he wants to give him the burial that the man deserves because he wanted to be buried in a um in, in a certain place right but then yeah, more, so, more yeah. so than just the culture being like valid and stuff like this film really breaks it down like no matter who you are your body is the same and that's the point with yes. the corpses the physicality the blood and bone we are all the same creature deep down whether or not we have the same beliefs and you know whatever like at the end of the day though we are all just these corpses walking around you know and that's universal oh, yeah. no matter who you uh, are but they, they meet these people on, along the way say yeah. like there's these people who like there, there's a scene that uh, i think I, I talked about this like a few minutes ago say when january jones is watching television and she gets for lack of a better word, raped by her husband, right? She's watching a very specific TV show. I can't remember what it was, but then later on the film, you see the symmetrical scene where these Mexican dudes watching the same show in the middle of nowhere. It's, I think it's meant to tell me, right, that, you know, there's, okay, whether you're rich or poor in America or in, or in Mexico, we're all the same. Like, this, like these people are essentially the same and they're just as deserving of, of your respect as anybody else. So you know, uh, you know, we should we should do better, no? No, no. That's I think that's a big part of things, and I think that particularly with the title character Melchiades Estrada, they it's about humanizing the Mexican, which is in some yeah. ways like kind of as it's going to feel weird to say this. It's kind of a radical act because I think even now in terms of representation in film just generally, especially like uh, American film, I don't feel like Mexicans, particularly like Mexicans are humanized yet. Like they aren't quite treated in like a full, like a full rich three-dimensional way. And this kind of forces you not necessarily with him, he's still kind of like an opaque character. We only get fleeting impressions of who he might've been, but it, it humanizes him, like literally humanizes him in front of, your eyes and going back to the whole like the whole thing with border uh, patrol and specifically with texas in general i always find it very humorous that there's this whole thing it's like yeah we've got to keep the mexicans out they keep trying to cross the border and they're undocumented and stuff like that and we could get into a political conversation about that but i always find it humorous because texas was mexico it was mexico we took We took that away from them. They actually are the people who did live there first. They're just basically going back home in a way. And I mean, on top of that, I'm not exactly sure if that's true, that one of the reasons why we seized that land was because the inhabitants there were anti-slavery, which I find even funnier in a way where it's just like, oh, well, we don't want to do that. It's like, fine, then we're just going to take everything away from you and you can never come back. So it is in a way like these people are returning to their own land I mean, and looking for different opportunities, but it's also humanizes them in a way. And it is also kind of strange that it's coming from someone like Tommy Lee Jones, who I think is very much affiliated with like uh, his generation of actors, particularly, you know, like stoic, calm, usually a little bit leaning more right and that sort of thing. It is interesting to see that coming from a man like him um, and that that's the way he feels about things. And it was actually surprising. I know the first time I watched it, I looked at some reviews of it and some people were really upset about it. They, um, they were like, this movie's too political or they were very, you could tell they were very uncomfortable or upset that it did humanize a Mexican man to them. 
because and so they wow. said it was too political they they it didn't quite reach them it's like i can't fully like this movie because um i feel like i'm being preached to and i thought wow i don't think this movie is really preachy at all you don't have anybody um bringing the hammer down or having long monologues about the rights of mexican americans it just shows a story about like there's a guy who got killed it wasn't fair and now you're on a journey with him and he's decaying before your eyes but i don't know tough shit look at him you know that's what you have to go through just like norton and i find that very interesting and beneficial it makes it it pushes you toward becoming a more empathetic person and without if art doesn't expand your empathy in any way it it's it's not really art at all so to me this was definitely worth it it's sad how much we've regressed that that's the same argument given to like any film now that just has like a strong woman character like that's the same exact quote used like here at least this like this is a little bit more political than just having like wonder woman be a strong woman um but yeah, I mean, it doesn't shock me that's the response because like, I think if we've seen anything in the past five years, it's that empathy and understanding is like such an old concept that people just reject, which is disgusting. Uh, but I think the film is so brutal with it. And it but it, is, it isn't necessarily political. Like, I mean, like you said, it's not necessarily outright saying, you know, um, a lot of its themes or a lot of like these things is kind of what you put on it, but it, it is about a racist coming to terms with not being a racist specifically towards um, undocumented immigrants. So, I mean, there is a level of politics here unde- undeniably, but I think like if you reject what this film is saying, maybe you need to carry like a body across the Mexican desert. And like, it's just, it is wild to me that you would, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not the person, I guess, who understands that, but it just seems like <laughs> you really, it's very difficult really to put yourself in the shoes of someone who has to carry a body across the desert. Well, no, I was saying like it's a very abstract concept to most I people. I can't, I can't put myself <laughs> in the shoes of like someone who watches this film and is like, "Ew, they're trying to humanize like these people." Like, what a disgusting statement from the film. Like, what are you? I, I don't. I think. <laughs> I think yeah, you, they're out there. They're out oh, there. Absolute, oh, absolutely. Oh, undeniably. But you, but you think? I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think at some point you, you just said to the, the, there's political, political statements in here. There's stuff in here, and there's stuff you put on, because I, I think this is, this is why, this is a five star experience for me. Because, because I think I don't. Know, I, recently, I watched a film called Fantastic Planet from 1973, and then this has been com- like this an animated feature about like all sorts of stuff. And I have a feeling some films are basically a barometer for who you are. So you will put on this what you think will like some some films are are more like mirrors to me, as in I will see in it what I choose, what I think, um, I don't know what what I choose to see or my subconsciously want to see. And this will be reverted back at me and this is not a learning opportunity to me as in this is something that I can learn about myself so if someone sees this and and criticize and criticizes oh you're you're humanizing a Mexican you should probably just take a long hard look at yourself because you probably have a problem right so and then because it's what what's wrong with humanizing someone who's who, who's essentially been culturally vilified for a better part of of the last century like come on just i think we were grown up to know this about but then um and then i don't know you can also say okay if you have certain certain outlook on life you could see say okay well 
Oh, oh, because I think this is something that Jack mentioned in after we've recorded Glass, because he, I think he suggested that uh, Melchiades and Tom, Tommy Lee Jones, um, Jones, Jones's character were lovers, and I'm just saying, well, I don't know, I'm trying, I'm trying to see it, it's it there, and I don't quite see it, but I, but then again, can you see it? Like, is this is because I'm just trying to see? Okay, well, can you see their friendship in a different light, and will this some tell me something about myself as well? I don't know, because I think, Carson, you had something to say about this. Oh, yeah, I saw that. But I don't want to reduce, though. I think also it's very worthwhile. Like, that is my perspective. Obviously, uh, I look for queer themes in films quite That's a bit. So, like, it's no. not shocking. But I don't want to reduce, though, the idea of it's just being a male friendship, because I think that is something drastically not shown on screen a lot of the time. And if it is just that for someone, I don't think, like, this is not necessarily, you don't have to read this in a queer way, I would say. I think it is undeniably there if you look for it. But I don't want to reduce the idea that it is just about male friendship, because I think that is a beautiful thing and something not shown on screen nearly enough in this way i mean male friendship is basically a taboo anyway absolutely I don't know what you guys think because i, I it's almost like it's, it's weird no like like it's for many men it's like okay well the the, the the only sort of male friendships or camaraderie that you see on screen that are sort of depicted in an honest way would be in a military contact contest mm. context I'm, I'm having another foreigner moment Blah. Okay. <laughs> well, like, are you like talking about like Jarhead, for example? Jarhead yeah. is a little bit of that. But I mean, honestly, when you think about male friendship being depicted in a way that um, really, that really touches people, or I, I, I guess by people, I mean me, it was like the last black man in San Francisco. That male friendship, it, it destroyed me and it destroyed my sister too. We saw it separately, but she was just, I said, it was just so rare to see men being caring and the word is like tender with each other without it necessarily heading into a homosexual context or a queer context. It's like, it doesn't need to be, it could be there, but it doesn't matter. It's just about men caring for each other and, and loving each other. And there is, there is a love between uh, P and uh, Melchiades, but we don't quite know what it is. And I think maybe in some ways it was, the story was designed to be, um, not forthcoming about that especially because like there's the scene where like they go to the hotel with melissa leo and january jones and it's implied that um tommy jones and melissa leo like yeah they hook up and with uh the other two characters they just dance um which is very very sweet um but it i'm curious about uh where it is because like that that um context flew completely over my head Usually I am looking for that stuff, like, uh, especially like watching things like St. Maud or the White Tiger. I'm just like, this is a little bit gay. I'm like, it's like, uh, <laughs> it's like, a very interesting way to phrase gay. it. So yeah, so Saint, gay. Agreed on St. Maud quite a bit. <laughs> see, but this, this is one of those things. Like I watched St. Maud. I didn't see any single gay thing. I saw Taxi Driver when I saw, when I saw St. Maud. Like that's what I saw. So, and anyway. But, oh yeah. Yeah. But Wait, uh, you didn't see any gay stuff in St. Maud? I mean, that's like a no, plot. Okay, well, apart from no, no. I mean, uh, there is a gay relationship between that woman, uh, her patient, oh, yeah, and and uh, and, uh, and that little that other person. I can't remember if she's a friend. Deeper. Oh, Amanda and Carol. Amanda and Carol. The dancers. Yeah. Amanda and Carol's the yes. girlfriend kept coming over, and Maude was like, yeah. "You can't come over here anymore." Yeah, and oh, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, now that now you, you mentioned it, maybe there is like a repressed homosexuality because she's jealous. 
right? Yes. Yeah, but then yeah, but then again, I, it's one of those things that I didn't particularly look for it, so I didn't see it. <laughs> so because oh, yeah. I was looking for I just it was a, a looking at the White Tiger because there was I think there was similar scenes in both films where it's like they're um, going through their employer's stuff, maybe trying on their culinary perfume and talking about how they smelled or talking, or like there's emphasis on when the, um, the employer like touches them. With the white tiger, it just completely abandons it. I was like, is this going to, is there a homosexual thing going on? And it's like, no, that, no, that's not in there anymore. I don't know, maybe like a producer yeah. medal of like no gay stuff, whatever. Or with St. Maude, it's like kind of there. And with women in particular, and this is, always been misunderstood is that women do kind of get obsessed with each other even like as teenagers and stuff like that where it seems like almost like it's a romantic thing but it isn't um and in some cases it is and like people misinterpret it like people come across like letters between women from hundreds of years ago and they're like i think they're really good friends and you read it and they're just like these two were totally having sex i don't know how you guys are missing it or whatever but (laughs) um in this movie it's a lot more it's it, there's uh, there's a lot of power in what remains unsaid, which is also just so Tommy Lee Jones. I have to talk about a little bit. I mean, kind of keeping with like the queer subtext that could be there, but like his brand of masculinity, it should really irritate me. Like especially coming from that generation where it's like a lot of men his age. Like I this seems like a really like mean thing to say, but like I'm actually appreciating that a lot of them are dying off, and like the hero <laughs> worship is over. Because it's like these men were actually like just shitty people who like hurt people their whole lives and like, oh, but they're genius. And like, oh, but they're also, you know, assholes or whatever. Well, they're assholes, absentee dads, and then you're like, well, misogynists and whatnot. That's, you know, that's. Oh, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones, I don't know much about his personal life, but it, if this is a reflection of who he is as a person, it, it's also like I see that in the homesman. There's a lot of compassion toward women um, and toward people who are outsiders. And then also like the way that he, Code's masculinity is very interesting. Like what he thinks is not good. You have like the Dwight Yoakam character, you have Barry Pepper, of course, who are very kind of coarse and racist and that kind of thing. Um, he's, I think as a man, he's very much fixated on like doing what is right. Even if what he's doing is wrong. Like it's, there's such a huge contrast between the scene where um, they've just left the hotel and Melissa Leo has to leave and January Jones runs toward the car and comes back and Yuri has his purse for her which is just like this really kind gesture. Like I'm thinking about what you may be needing. And then like a few scenes later, he has her tied up to that lazy boy and her face is taped shut. And he's like, but you might be cold. So he pulls a little blanket over her. No, but and, this is something uh, he needs to do, right? There's- Yeah, okay. <laughs> this is so wrong, but he's being a real gentleman about it, but, I but, guess. But see the, the brand of masculinity that's kind of, people say like you would sort of associate with Tommy Lee Jones, like the the sort of jarring effect of, okay, well, he looks that way. He comes from that kind of generation, but he kind of looks like he, he he looks like he thinks differently. Like he's, I think the the sort of masculinity of the sort of, I don't want to say the sort of right leaning sort of variety is almost assumed because of the way he looks. Because he, he, he looks like, I don't know, Kirk Douglas. (laughs) Just like he, he he looks like he like he's just about to uh, spout something racist from from his armchair at a television set like that's oh yeah he, I don't know if he's played any of those characters there is a meme about him on the internet that I've seen a few times that I always think is funny where it says like he always looks like his child has told him that they're gonna 
um, become like a professional uh, unicycle rider, like just complete disappointment and disgust. That's just this resting face. Is that his little Um, still from the Golden Globes when he was reacting to Ricky Gervais making a joke and he's just like, Christ, I'm not impressed. (laughs) No, he's hard to, and I've heard that he's, um, I think especially when he was younger, I think some people acted with him and they said that he's very, um, you you kind of feel like you um, you're hitting a wall. Like he's someone who isn't moving. Like he um, he's like, no, I'm gonna do it this way because I, mean, I think that seems like it would be him. And I even heard for this film, like they were, I think there was um, producers who told him like, you can't do the credits the way you're doing it because he's using those pastel Mexican colors. Yes, and, he's and like, he said like, fuck you, I'm doing this. <laughs> oh, they're gonna be there's gonna be pink in the credits. Which I don't know. Maybe also as to the queer subtext. This is getting so deep now. I'm scratching my chin. Is it queer or is it just um, Mexican? Mexican. Yeah. It could be but both. We don't know. Be, well, yeah, you can pro- you can project whatever you want. And isn't that an interesting duality though? Because those two cultures historically do not like necessarily accept. And like, there's a lot of turbulence between both the Mexican oh, yeah. community and yeah. the LGBTQ plus community. Not that it doesn't overlap. Be very, no, very, very Mexican, clear. That's because, but, because Mexican people are like Polish people or of America, as in incredibly catholic absolutely so isn't that also an interesting read in there and how that well, duality and this is just an aside I, I i know somebody who would go up uh she go, would go to mexico every now and then and i think that there's some communities like okay this is totally blew my mind because uh i mean homophobia is everywhere and especially in like very like uh you know masculine you know communities you know it's, it's like being gay is incredibly hard but she was saying that there's like a festival there or something that happens that was like way up in the mountains and like all the men dress like women and they like go full board into it. And it's like an accepted thing. And it's even like, a, it's like accepted. Well, I don't know if it's accepted year round or it's accepted just in that community or just accepted during that time. But I was it's just one day a year. <laughs> there is an overlap, but it's, oh, it's not on you. And uh, I bet somebody listening is just like, oh, I know what that is. I don't know what it is. If you do, um, I don't know. Write us an email on anchorjimspod yeah. at gmail.com or tweet at us. Like, we need to find out. Yes, we do need to know. I think there might even be pictures and stuff like that um, about this particular celebration. So, um, yeah, I'm curious about that. But, uh, yeah, now there's like, now we're getting into all these different cake layers and what the movie... <laughs> and then just to, to put a spin on the, on, on the queer sort of thing. By the way, I don't know if you know this. This film lost um, Indie Sp- Spirit Awards. Four of them it was nominated for. To Brokeback Mountain. Oh. Yeah. That's true. They did kind of come out the same year. Yeah, they did. Yes. That's... And then, me, me, but then again, uh, I don't know. I, I don't suppose critics at the time. I would have to dig out like a bunch of reviews to see if anybody noticed like a queer line in there. But because I think it's there if you look for it, but it's not overtly there because you could, I, I could convince myself that these people were just straight men because he was showing him pictures of his wife and then Tommy Lee Jones is calling Melissa Leo from Mexico and he asks her to marry him. Mm-hmm. So, so we, there's clearly a relationship between men and women. Although like the one hotel scene, is, I, I don't know, I can burst out laughing when like, they're all sort of very awkward because clearly January Jones's character, she's not done this before. She's just doing this because she's bored, right? And she's like, oh, maybe I'll put some TV on. And then she puts, put, puts the TV on and says, porn. Oh, yeah, maybe I'll change the channel. Another porn and another and another. Well, maybe TV is not a good idea. Like, I just, I, I don't know. It just made, it was funny to me. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, another side of things that I thought was funny as far as screens was the soap opera that she watches and that yeah. comes up later. Because I, I remember finding that so funny the first time I watched it because I was like, Tommy Lee Jones had to direct that. I'm like, how 
I was like, how did that go down? Do you know what the soap opera is, by the way? Really bad. Do do you know what the soap opera is, by the way? I don't think it's this. I don't think it's real. I think it was something that was made for. I mean, that's what I'm assuming. Maybe I'm wrong. If someone else knows about that, they can tweet or email us. But I (laughs) uncajimspot.gmail.com. Like we need to know. (laughs) But then again, I don't want soaps. Maybe someone's like, oh yeah, that's like Days of Our Lives season forty eight thousand episode three i don't know someone knows but apparently the best way to find out internet uh, information on the internet is not to ask a question but to post the wrong answer mm. just go 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 on go on reddit and say something like i don't know uh, the that soap opera is the days days of our lives someone will get pissed off and will write that, that, that you're wrong okay <laughs> awesome. correct you. i'll remember that <laughs> reddit is, is where to go if you don't have um if you have uh, something that you can't find, it's incredible. Um, I was trying to find a, the title of the film and they, I, I went on Reddit and they, it was like a, not even in English or anything. I didn't know its name. I didn't know it's anybody in it. And they found it in like eight hours. Yeah. I was like, I was totally blown away. So that's the place to go. Maybe we will have to resort to that. Yeah. And if you have spare Bitcoin, it's also a place to go. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah no but i'm just saying in terms of like male friendship that was one thing i wanted to quickly touch on because when you say male friendship is a is a difficult thing especially when you're socialized as a among straight boys right okay well for lack of a better word i'm a straight man right but then when you're growing up um as a like if you if uh, among other boys you're supposed like you're basically cultured from minute one that you're supposed to hide your feelings so you're not supposed to cry because you've, if you if you cry um, uh, among your male friends they will either call you a girl or or they will they will infer that you may be gay like that's just how it is like it's just so ru- rude behavior because that's how people are cultured um so it's almost interesting to me to find the, the sort of superficially macho character because you think you think about Tommy Lee Jones exactly as you as you as as you suggest like you think of him like he's like Clint Eastwood and by the way I think Clint Eastwood is more of a more of a liberal than people think he is. Um, oh, maybe I don't know. <laughs> Over the past couple of years, I don't think so. I think he's yeah. Kind of <laughs> no, but but now he's like ninety, so he, like I don't know what kind of meds he's on. But you know, like I, 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 <laughs> the whole chair incident. We were making fun of that yesterday. My friends yeah. and I were like, "Remember when he yelled at a chair?" <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But then like, the, the films he makes, he's also kind of just weirdly, weirdly subtle with, with, with certain things. Or like he's, he, I, I don't know. Like I, I really want to sit down and speak to, to his man and see what is in, inside his brain. Apparently, well, now it's probably mostly just mush because he's just getting there. But, but, but anyway, like you think about this sort of masculinity that's sort of peddled by this sort of notion of okay, well, this is a macho sort of Tommy Lee Jones style guy, and they they sit down with this young Mexican dude and then they talk about beautiful women and they just how beautiful it would be. Uh, just oh, show me your wife, and then I would you know they they talk in such a very sort of inspired way like you like around like i don't know if you if you if you're around like men around other men when they talk about women especially sort of 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 a certain i don't want to call it blue collar pedigree the the conversation has a very specific tone very often and it's not very nice (laughs) so it's all very sort of objectifying and then these people were just so respectful and full of inspiration and it's, it's almost unreal but which I don't know. It's. I think it's. It's purposeful in there. But yeah, I have a feeling that this is to me why this plays as a 
beautiful friendship as opposed to a romantic relationship at least i know you can you, you can find a romantic relationship if you look for it there i know carson you found one in there but to me this was basically just because when you said oh well um i think hillary you, you said this that you know like just tommy lee jones's character and him almost in in real life he kind of looks like he's just does things certain way because he does it his character is guided by a moral compass like he has a set of rules and he just adheres to them I don't know. And on certain level, you could you could call it conservative, but then it's also beautifully sort of free in a way because he just doesn't care about rules of the land or whatever. That this is what feels right, so I'm doing what feels right, and that's and therefore I'm happy, right? Yeah, I mean, well, with this dilemma, like I said, like uh, it is a lot about, um, like I feel like I'm just repeating myself. Like it is about like humanizing a, a Mexican, and in the Homesman, which I haven't seen for a while, it's a lot about it's a very much fixated on what women went through because that is a period piece about just how horrible it was to be a woman in, uh, in uh, the American West. Uh, I believe it, I don't know the exact time period, but the 1800s and also showing like his privilege over, over theirs. Like his character is not exactly the most likable person, but it really kind of, he lets all of the humanity shine through the female characters that he is directing so I think there is something in him that is a little bit different. And I've experienced that in my own life. I, I have been in a lot of situations with men, especially like uh, having worked in film, going to school and stuff like that. I do have a group of male friends that um, the way they talk to each other and the way they talk about women and the way they talk about things is very different. And there's sometimes where I've had conversations with them where I'm like, okay, like I've seen this in movies so often. It's like, does that happen with you? And they look at me and I'm like, no, like we don't like about the whole, like uh, there's a whole trope of like talking about like, oh yeah, I nailed this chick and like giving all these details. It's in television and movies all the time. And I was talking, I was like, is that what ha would happen with you guys? And they were like, no, like they were, they were just like, like someone would say like, we like, uh, yeah, like, um, yeah, like I had sex or something like that. Like if like they lost their virginity or something or like they finally, um, it finally happened and they'd be like, oh, cool. Well, let's go do something else. Like they would just like start, start talking about something else. So it, it does exist, but it seems to be, um, it's, I, it's not considered a norm. And it, I guess it depends on like where certain men en end up too. I've also asked my men friends, like when they figured out that they couldn't cry in public anymore. And one guy immediately said second grade and the other guy said at the same time he's like what he's like i cry every day <laughs> like he was just I mean, really upfront about it I mean, and it's I mean, true in public or just in general he's because, crying yeah. i'm not crying and he's like crying he's just the most he's an emotional guy but um still you know <laughs> i'm so. just tra traditionally raised because crying is allowed in the shower because you can't see your tears <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's like the blade runner scene all the tears in the tears rain in the rain yeah <laughs> No, no, no. But th there is some. There is something about this. Like the like. Okay. Well, if you go, um, I don't know. If you if you're in a job interview situation, if a woman bursts into tears, everybody in the room gets awkward, and because and 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 feels sorry for her. If if a man did that, we would be like, "What is wrong with you? <laughs> it's just unacceptable." So yeah, there there are certain sort of taboos about this. You know, like the sort of male. Um, I'm, I'm struggling for a word like the, the, the sort of male sensitivity is kind of a taboo and then this is almost explored um in a very sort of 
contrasty way because it's 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 sort of set in a in a very macho dominated sort of thematic landscape because these you know, cowboys and and then border patrol everyone's everyone has a gun and there's rifles and then you know people behave like absolute savages and you know so it's it's a bit it's a bit jarring but i think it's uh, he's doing this for a reason oh yeah there's even um i think i still have questions about this and uh i did mention earlier so if i i kind of like oh god did she even watch this um i i was watching it last night and my internet went out so i missed like the last rewatching like the last 30 40 minutes of it but the blind man that they're with for a very short period of time he asks for death as a compassionate act. That's a very paradoxical scene of like, what should a man do? Or like, there is a lot of, um, there is a lot going on in that scene. It's like, what is the kind thing to do or the right thing to do as a man? And uh, spoilers, 16, <laughs> six, what is it? 16 years since it came out? Like 16 years, spoiler. Yep. Time Legion stops not to shoot the blind man. And it does become like a strange question that's hanging over the film. Like, did he do the right thing? Does the blind man come back later? Uh, yes, he does. Because okay. he's met by the border, border patrol agents and they ask him if he if they saw two, uh, two men with a corpse. And he says, I didn't see anything because I'm blind. <laughs> so, <laughs> but then, uh, but did you hear anything? I don't know. So he, he, he lies. So he basically just um, tells the border patrol um, to, to 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 go away, and then just covers for them. So, so that's that's the only the only thing you see uh, of him later on. So every everything in the film, by the way, just comes back. You see the woman who gets punched in the face, and then has her bro- nose broken by Barry Pepper. She then comes back as the sort of person who has to save his life after a snake bite, and then she breaks his nose. Everything's symmetrical in here, right? Even yeah. like you know. Um, starts with um, with um, um, two people encountering a shallow grave, and then ends with a with a guy being buried in a shallow grave under under a tree. Like it's all symmetrical. It's very beautiful. Like if the longer you think about this, the more you you, you like. If you didn't think it's a five star movie before, you know, then after like an hour of thinking, you'll you'll definitely convince yourself it is, and you should. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> a ringing endorsement. But yeah, that's actually something about the film that I I wouldn't have thought about unless you brought that up. That it's if you charted out like a, a line on um like on a chalkboard and like put all the scenes in, they are very symmetrical in a way. And I, I didn't think about that. That it's it's almost like a it's like that or like a circle. <laughs> yeah, oh, the soap opera as well um, on the on the little television in the kitchen and then in, on the on the back of like a Ford Ranger or whatever. It's all symmetrical, right? And there's uh, there's a bar where Melissa Leo. I don't know what she does. Solicits hookups, or I don't know. I don't. I'm not even. Does she work in the restaurant? There's another she restaurant in. On, like basically, the, the 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 world is mirrored in Mexico as well. Yeah. I'll just tell you, exact same people, just as lovely. They just speak another language, and they're you know, so, and you know, it you know, it's 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 much smarter than people I think gave it credit for at the time, especially those who just don't. Ah, this is humanizing the Mexican. <laughs> so it's, I don't have to look. I wonder if what I read was. More, I'm trying to remember where I read this stuff. It might have been stuff that came out when it was released, or it could be more contemporary stuff today. I think some people are really uncomfortable because they've been always told that that person's the other. They're breaking the law. They're crossing the border, and it's like that's just like so ingrained in them that they are still like, "There's something about that man. Like he did something wrong, so I can't justify what's happening." Um, 
I don't know where they're coming from, but it's still like, it's a, it's a movie. Like this isn't a real person. Like, honestly, like that's not what this is about really. So it, it should be, it should be let go. But this will be the same time. What, um, hold on. I need to quickly Google this. When did Crash win an Oscar? 2006. That was the year that we solved racism. That's what I heard. Oh, yeah. Like, so so see Oscar. this. That's not okay because, oh, you're humanizing the Mexican. But then if, if, you, if you make a Hollywood sort of sanitized film about white people saving black people, that's all right. Yeah. I see, that's preachy. Like when they're talk, kind of saying like, oh, yeah, Three Burials has like a really overt political message and stuff like that. Like it's like I always... It's like, but it's not preachy. It's just telling you a story. Like, Crash is very much like racism is bad, you know, that kind of. It'd thing. be the same year this was, because it was the same year as Broke Back, Broke Back Mountain. So yeah, there oh, you go. Yeah. So it, it, it's oh, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't get me started on that. Oh, yeah. just, like, why did that not win? Like, even like my mom was like, Crash was good. I mean, because like this is like the mom opinion, but she's just like, why didn't Broke Back Mountain win? But Crash like, is such a mom <laughs> film. <laughs> that was not a good movie. I don't get this, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like my mom also is like, "Oh, this crash film was lovely." I, I get, I, I bet you think it is. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. at the time, definitely. Yeah. I, it's funny. Like if you talked to her in two thousand and six, she's like, "This is bringing up a lot of things we should talk about." I don't think she thought thought about it. It was like the end all be all. But uh, like if you talk to her now, she's just like, "I don't know what that why that one." It's just like you know, opinions and thoughts change as like you change and the conversation changes. But I mean, the, we had Green Book. Green Book one, and that was just like that was crash all over again. It's like, yeah. oh god, no, please. Meanwhile, well, luckily can... <laughs> at that point we also had Moonlight win, which you know. Well, yeah. yeah, well, to go yep. from Moonlight to Green Book, it's like there's still a problem here. There's still a problem. <laughs> but that probably just tells you that you know Moonlight win was more or less like a token win, and it's just oh, let's give it to them because it's the right thing to do. Like, well, we need we need some good publicity on Twitter. Like I, yeah. I, I bet you money. Then some, some people were just thinking, "Oh, this is the, this is the right vote to cast." Yeah, I don't want to seem like a bad person, so I've got to put in. Um, oh. I've got to make sure that I vote the right way. But it, it deserved to win. It deserved to win. It's, it's a really good film. I, I didn't see La La Land, so I don't know what it was stacked up against. But well, La La Land was my favorite film of that year. So I mean, I'm, I, I I'm love for La La Land, but. It's, I mean, it's I, good for what it is. I mean, I liked La La Land more than I liked Moonlight at the time, and I really, I really did like La La Land. But then I just thought, ah, maybe it's a better thing than you know, like I, I don't know, because <laughs> yeah, La La Land is like there's like a hundred, I don't, I don't want to say hundred. There's at least ten other films in the past where we're like La La Land that won Oscars, right? So you just oh, think, yeah. yeah, well, then that's how Hollywood loves, loves, loves itself, and it's pretty much why, why like this film doesn't, doesn't doesn't serve didn't survive in this sort of cultural consciousness because it's just well it's overtly yeah. critical I mean, it if if you if you think you to to yourself that you you think you deserve criticism you'll see it gets critical towards you so it's a bit of a different sort of d- difficult film to process yeah hollywood doesn't like difficult things especially all of them are like 80 year old men yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, that may change with time. I, I keep hearing all the time that they're trying to be more inclusive or, or whatever. But I just basically I don't even listen to what they say anymore. I mean, even if Moonlight hadn't won, it's just one of those. Um, it's a special film. I mean, how often I can't think of a film where uh, there's just been like one line of dialogue where you just stop breathing. You just feel another character's pain so deeply and uh, understand it in a way that you didn't expect. 
um, especially near the end of the film where it's, you know, just about black reuniting with. Um, there, are there are times where a win, especially at like the Oscars and stuff, it's like, it's bigger than just what is the best. And Moonlight was a needed win after Broke, Back Mountain and Crash and that controversy and that fucking like abysmal decision by them. <laughs> I mean, not even just Green Book, but specifically with Crash and Brokeback Mountain. Yeah. All the like precursors it suggested Brokeback Mountain was going to win. That was a clear decision. And then the Academy, despite giving it best director, despite giving it a little, specifically chose to not go with the LGBT movie and specifically go with Crash and not be there for the community, which Hollywood has targeted for over a century. You needed something like Moonlight. So even though I do prefer La La Land I, as a film, I much prefer Moonlight as a win because because of what that meant. Yes, it's absolutely hollow. Yes, you can look at Green Book the next year and say, oh, yikes, we're back to it. But like for that night, the Holly, you know, the Academy and Hollywood and mainstream media stood with the LGBT, not just the LGBTQ plus community, but the black LGBTQ plus community, which is something you never see and that is needed. So I'll, I'll much more take the win for Moonlight and I'll always look back at that night as a success, even if, you know, we get shit wins from here on out though we got parasites so that was good <laughs> was yeah, was yeah. three burials nominated for anything like a screenwriting thing or anything small um, no not for oscars no, no. it won in can uh, yeah. i think uh best screenplay in tommy lee jones for acting yes or directing acting i think and it wasn't uh, i think it was in the nominated for the golden the palm door golden palm <laughs> Yeah, whatever that is. I, yeah, I don't whatever. know right now. Um, no, but I'm just, yeah, I'm just like on a complete tangent. I was just thinking like Brockback Mountain, if it was made today, it would, it would attract such a backlash because Angry is not gay. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? That that might that might have been an issue. But uh, I mean, yeah. Oh, I mean, no. The, the, I think it, at the time, it, the issue was that it was too graphic for the uh, sort of 80-year-old men in the academy because they were just couldn't possibly stomach the fact that two people were absolutely banging in, an, in a tent. I mean, well, they didn't the, really show them banging in the tent. They showed no, but, but it, for, 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 no, it did yeah. show them. It did show them. I'm sorry. I mean, for, yeah. for, no, no, it did show them. It, okay, well, it, sure. it was simulated. But for the time, it was very... Um, um, I want to say... I don't want to say graphic, but it was very suggestive. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, I mean, think, I don't know. It wasn't pornographic or anything. I don't know. For me, I almost felt like I need to see that because there was a, what, like, what has happened with Ang Lee, not only with this film, but also Lust Caution, which I don't know if many people who are listening to this have seen it, but like that is, that's a film with very, very overt and very graphic sexuality that is, it's I think the, it's the, almost unsimulated as well in there, right? Yeah, it, well, it is simulated, but it looks like it's unsimulated. Okay. And, but it needs to be in there. Otherwise, you're not going to understand. You're not going to understand the connection between the characters. And that scene in the tent in particular, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But I remember it's like, oh, my God, this is happening. Like, they just can't, they can't handle this anymore. Oh, yeah. And it does happen very fast. <laughs> well... <laughs> To be fair, if Ang Lee made it now, it would be at a it would be at a super fast frame rate and 40x exclusively with like some crazy thing he would give for the technicals. Yeah, 120 frames. No, please. <laughs> no. no, it just had to, it's like it's like it needed to it needed to happen and it was done. Um, yeah. and uh, it was important so that there could be the emotional fallout from that and also the beginning of something. And I don't Wait. know, I didn't 
I'm yeah. seeing that. But I guess if you're 80 and you're extremely conservative, you're just like, I don't get any of this. And no, no. Uh, well, right. even this year, it's never really sometimes always. We got letters the, from Academy members, Academy winners sent saying that they won't watch it because it's about abortion. So See, still this- lives. This is why I think, uh, uh, I, I know it's very idealistic on your behalf to say, oh, well, these people are dying off, but then some other people are getting older and there's an age-old rule that, you know, as people get older, they get more conservative. So oh, yeah. even if you think yourself a liberal now, like think, like, just, just write down what you, what you think is, is, is good sort of behavior, put it in an envelope, address it to yourself and, I don't know, send it to yourself. So, I don't know, just leave it, leave it in a, in a, in a, in a drawer somewhere so you can open it 40 years from now and then you'll see like, wow, I was such a hippie. <laughs> yeah, I think that does happen to a lot of people. I think if you're aware of it, um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, oh God, this is weird. I'm going to quote Bjork. Uh, I think she says like bravery is um, staying liquid. If you start coagulating and all sorts of things like at the moment, it's, it very much means that like you're shutting down and becoming old. If you stay open to new ideas, I think in, in that particular sense, or you just stay open and keep working on being empathetic, um, you probably won't have that struggle. Um, if you become fixed in your opinions, even if they're liberal opinions, they're probably going to age out. Yeah. And particularly with this film, it does make me wonder in a way like it, because I think, oh, let's see, John, Timothy Jones is 74 now. I think I looked up his age last night. So when he directed this, he was probably in his early 60s, right? Uh, so quite possibly, yeah. Think of like where like a man in his 60s from his generation in particular wanting to tell a story like this we don't know what led to that or maybe if he had his own, like if what his journey was to make for that particular story to be important to him. Maybe there's bits of him that was in the Barry Pepper character. Maybe, maybe. he was always yeah. the same as he did. We don't know, but it's, that's what brings a certain poignancy and strength to the story. We don't yeah. know where, exactly where it came from, but it's saying something and it's saying something that um, I think, well, like we just talked about, people are uncomfortable with. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it could also be, I mean, it's it's a possibility and I don't really want to say this out loud because I don't really for a second believe it, but it could also be a cynical sort of thing. Oh, this is a good thing to do. So even though I don't believe any, any of this, it, it's a good film to make because, you know, it will make people, I don't know, think for a second. But I, 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 I wouldn't for a second believe that you, you can make such a subtle and such an inspired piece of filmmaking without your heart being in it. Oh, yeah. But I was thinking strange, stranger things that happened. there's there's so much like there's so much a huge margin for error for this film that's the one thing i was thinking like all oh, these scenes like they've been directed so they'd just be a bunch of scenes out of order and you wouldn't understand anything and uh it could have been a total mess he was really good at it especially at, yeah. well i think he directed a tv movie before this one this is like his first feature feature film yes but still like this is a tough one it's like oh i'm gonna this is all gonna be out of order and um i, I really every emotional beat hits um, I, I don't think he exactly just wanted this to be out of order i think he uh, if, if what i read online is anything to go by i think the idea was that he wanted to make a western that kind of just celebrates certain aspects of the sort of border culture so the the mexican culture and the sort of uh, and, and maybe criticizes the ideas uh, the sort of more conservative ideas and then the fragmented thing came from the screenwriter because that's what he loves doing. Like every single script he's written is, is fragmented that way. That's just what he does. Um, 
I mean, I just happen to love it. So, you know, uh, but I think that he was, when he was giving him sort of um, uh, suggestions on what what to do, he apparently uh, quoted, uh, there's a film he starred in with uh, Robert Duvall called Lonesome Dove, which is basically the same story about these two people going from, a, I think, Canadian border all the way to Texas to bury their friend. And so, yeah, it's another sort of Western from like the 80s. And there's... Um, and then, and then Ariaga, I think he weaved in another sort of like a real life incident where just a border patrolman just killed a dude on the border and then just hid the body. So there's there it's a, it's an amalgamation of personalities and ideas, and then pop cultural sort of things because you can also just um, trace certain elements of this back to like the bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, especially when they travel with a corpse and then they have to. I think they they do something, they, they pump it full of like antifreeze or something in, at some point in the mm -hmm. film. And I think that's an ode to, to Peckinpah because there is an element of that in, in that film. So it's it's a very smart sort of collage of pop cultural references. It's also like, you, like you, you know, we've been talking about this for like an hour and a bit and then we've touched on so many things. So you can project quite a lot of things on this and we'll all stick. Yeah, and that's and that's what I admire is that it's it, that's actually really hard to do. I can't imagine being able to pull off something like this, like he did. <laughs> Not by a long shot, because it's so fragmented and there's a lot going on. That's a tough first uh, film to take on. But I don't know, he was in his 60s and he was in films for a long time. So he had an, a very clear idea of what he was doing. I was going speak on the trajectory of his career. I find it very, like, kind of sad and interesting that he hasn't really directed much since. Um, I've not seen The Homesman, which I believe is his other major one that he directed. Um, but, you know, he has a very competent, very powerful voice. So I think even that speaks to more of like this meant something to him because this was one of the few directorial outings he had. Um, but I think he has a very, very powerful voice. That I would love to see more on screen with. But, you know, he just didn't make much more as a director, at least. I mean, no, he, he only did Apart from this and the homesman, and he just made two TV films. And I just I have to come clean because I had to when Hillary were talking about the homesman. I was just saying I think I've seen this before. So I quickly looked on Letterbox and I gave it two and a half out of five. And to me, this is this is horrible because I give out five star ratings like like you know like you know, like candy. So, so but no, um, and I'm just saying maybe I should rewatch the homesman because maybe I now having reconnected with his first film I'll, I'll, I'll probably get I hopefully will get more out of this experience because I have a feeling that I, I didn't really jive with what, what what he was I mean I just quickly glanced over my review and I was, I was basically having problems with everything that I liked about this <laughs> so, oh really wow yes. yeah so it's like I'm like, I don't know like, I, I don't I don't really trust my opinions from five years ago because I think that the review that I found of my own sort of watching of, of the homesman is like from like 2016 so yeah but um I don't know. Take it or leave it. No, but no, no. Seriously, re revisit it again. I wouldn't mind seeing the homelessman again. There was elements of that movie that were really shocking to me. And I was just like, I, I, <laughs> he really uh, went, um, he really went into certain places where it's like, that just doesn't happen in Westerns or certain, like uh, bringing humanity to people in very unexpected ways or um, in very disturbing ways as well. But uh, there's, I did find out he, there was a film in between the two of them called was it like the Sunset Limited? It's like a Cormac McCarthy adaptation. And it's just him and Samuel Jackson in an apartment. Um, it's like a two-man play. 
I think I might check that out because I, I like both of those actors and it'd be strange to see them act across from each other because they're both very powerful in different ways. And I think the topic is death and suicide and faith and a bunch mm -hmm. of really heavy things. So I want to check that out too. After thinking about the homesman revisiting this, it's like, I bet that's pretty solid too. It makes sense because like, okay, well, the uh, three burials are kind of um, loosely based on, as you pointed out, on Faulkner, right? And yes. then Faulkner is uh, like a spiritual ancestor to McCarthy. Yes, which is right? weird because Styles. I mean, I haven't read Faulkner actually, Carson. So, um, but I have read McCarthy. <laughs> McCarthy's like really short and clipped. Yeah, he's short and clipped, and he doesn't believe in punctuation either. <laughs> yeah, very different. Yeah. But the, the tone is the same, I think. It's like very like rural and desolate and uh, dark. Um, like, I don't know if you like if you've read, um, I think I remember like, last year I read Blood Meridian. So that's a Western by Cormac McCarthy. And that's, a, that's something that some people, so many people tried to adapt so many times, but no one, no one ever dares. Because if someone actually did adapt Blood Meridian to a film, this would be like an X-rated affair because this is just <laughs> horribly violent. Um, but yeah, this is the, I think even like the three burials and like the kind of exists in the same universe where you kind of feel like, like no one's safe, like a stray bullet can kill you. And then things happen when you get a snake. There's no romanticism to, to no, there, there is a certain degree of romanticism to, towards certain elements of culture, but there's, and maybe nature, but then like when you get a snake bite, it's, it's, it gets graphic very quickly. And then whenever, you know, you see Barry Pe Pepper interacting with women, it gets graphic very quickly as well. So it's, it's all very unsanitized. And I, th I have a thing, maybe Tommy Lee Jones has an affinity for that kind of sort of thing. Because he also starred, not starred, he was in No Country for Old Men, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's, Cor uh, that's a Cormac McCarthy screenplay. Yeah, I, I was thinking more of um, actually The Road. I think The Road is my favorite adaptation. I felt like they did a really good job adapting that to screen. I haven't read The Road, by the way, so I should probably... I think The Road, when I was reading this, I was thinking this is probably going to be the new book that they assign in high school and make kids read it. And then uh, a few years later, uh, I had some friends, they had a younger sibling, uh, a brother, and he had The Road and he was reading it in a high school English class. And I was like, here we go. Because it is, I think it is one of those things that would change the way, there's a lot of morality and stuff like that. But anyways, I'm getting off topic, but. Um, we're, I on, we're on topic anyway. <laughs> we're always off topic. I have to bring this up. Kudos to Barry Pepper. I, I'm, I can't say like I'm an aficionado of his or I've seen a t like everything that he's done. Um, I've, I've seen a good chunk, but in this film in particular, the way he's directed is like uh, the sex scene with his wife the he face his eyes. I was just like this guy has no vanity whatsoever and then also like no. being directed by Tommy Lee Jones like I want it to look like this and then also like the almost masturbation scene in the in the desert with the hustler I was just like he's playing someone who's just so unlikable and just really had like there was just no vanity there as far as making himself so unlikable um I really, I just have to mention that in this podcast. I don't, of course, like he'll never hear this, but I was just like, we never Dude, know. wow, just <laughs> wow. So he want me to roll my eyes back and like, look like I'm having a seizure or something. You do you know, think, that, he, you, like, do you yeah, think this was directed or do you think this was his idea of like, I, I know, I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to roll my eyes. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> they're like, gonna... not graphically, sometimes I've heard exchanges between people where they're, they talk about something really embarrassing that happened to them uh that's 
<laughs> that's sexual or something like that. So I wonder if that was based on something that either he or Tom Lee Jones saw that they just thought was just like um, horrific. And they're like, let's put that in the movie. It's like <laughs> yeah. the biggest turnoff ever. Um, and uh, also like kind of going into the women characters, it was, I, I, Melissa Leo is so, I really like her character in this film. You never quite fully understand what's going on, but you can just tell like there's a certain relish with how she's performing certain scenes, especially the ones with Dwight Yoakam. Like, I think at one point it like cuts them and it's always the same. You sit on the couch and he has a couch cushion over, over his privates. And, 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 and he's like, always apologizing for, for, for underperforming. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things <laughs> underperforming, which probably adds to the whole like queerness thing as well. It's just like, yes. you can't with women, so. But um, he, uh, <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> because you're just, you're just giggling <laughs> no comment but uh, at one point he's just like oh like you're having sex with Tommy Lee Jones or whatever and she just like sits there quietly and then she gets this big smile on her face and she's like yeah we don't talk a lot but see, see her, her character I, I, I still can't figure out I should probably I should probably just rewatch it at some point again because Melissa Leo's character I, I still can't possibly decipher January Jones's character, I think I can, as in she's the sort of, um, she's been extracted out of her sort of comfort zone because she comes from a, like a big city. She wants to go shopping. She wants to do, like, she's she's a stand-in for a certain sort of, um, I don't want to say a type of person, but a type of thinking. Uh, yeah. But I don't, I don't quite know what Melissa Leo is supposed to be in this sort of, if everyone's sort of um, uh, a symbol for something, I don't know what she's, what she stands in for. I think she's, there. I know there's one scene in particular where her and January Jones are sitting across from each other on a table. And I'm sure this was very deliberate, but they both have, they're mirroring each other. They're both ha holding cigarettes in the, um, the opposite hands and looking at each other. And I think that in some ways, Melissa Leo's function as a character is to show January Jones who she might end up being. She's not, Melissa Leo is in a very unsatisfying marriage with her husband Bob and Bob seems so out of touch with anything even reality um that he doesn't he know how long he's married to her no that she's cheating on him you know well yeah this is something I didn't quite know does, she, does he know that she's cheating on him or is this like an arrangement that they have that then he, she's allowed to go and bang people and then because he has clearly no idea how long he's been married to her oh yeah that scene that scene said so much where she's like, how long have you been married? And he like starts off and he like, I think he starts thinking about something else. He's like looking at a light bulb. I think he, sta head. he started counting and he lost interest halfway through the count in his head. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, yeah, it's, it, it's very, it's a, it's a very odd sort of set of these sort of um, secondary characters, I think. There's so much I, I, personality I in this film. Like, there's so much personality and small little quirkiness to these characters that's like, there is a weird level of fun to this world and film for, you know, how devastating and how brutal it is. Like, it is, like, iconic in some ways. I mean, okay, well, before we actually get, because I think we're slowly kind of just getting to um, to the end of this, because I don't know. No, there's one thing I wanted to quickly touch on is the um, idea of the... Um, uh of the ending as in like because they, they talk about the um the like uh, mercules is talking about his family right and that he has back in mexico and then then it turns out that it's not his family that he's just made made up that he has family in mexico and then he's and he when he's being like you like you like he's almost like tommy jones's moral compass is kind of just 
misaligned for a second because he doesn't know what to do with him and then he just brings him to a, to a village that doesn't exist and um, I'm still trying to figure out what this means I think they're, they're burying him in what I think he, he was built like he was building himself a house is that what it is? Like, That's how I took it yeah as in they, like the, the sort of the ruins are, are an unfinished house that Melchiorres was building for himself when he went to America to kind of I don't know what what for like to get money to finish his house I suppose but yeah because he was he was he was living with the thought of of, of I don't know just making a dream come true or, or I don't know yeah just making you know finding finding his way in life to like find happiness you know yeah my goodness it's kind of it's tragic I don't know it's almost it it is a weird I think choice especially if you want to tackle like racism towards undocumented immigrants. Cause obviously one of the main points is like, Oh, they're having a better future for their families and to erase that, I think gives ammo to people against them in a really like possibly toxic way. Um, though I think like if you ignore that and just look at it thematically in the film, it is quite beautiful, but it also is very, very tragic in a sense. It's very, it's a very intriguing choice. I, it's it, again, just like with a lot of this film, though, it is not the obvious thing. It's not what you expect, but it is worthwhile for what it is. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> for a second thought, it's just, oh, did you, did you just, did your internet completely go? <laughs> no, uh, the my computer died completely. Oh. I, I don't know why. Who knows? Maybe. I, it doesn't anyway go on with what you guys are talking about I'll catch up right so anyway so we were talking about the ending and then uh so how um by the way i'm not editing editing any of the sound like I, I should probably just buy a soundboard of, and then have these little sort of buttons that i can just push and say by the way i'm not editing editing any of this out uh, or like jack boy you're contradicting yourself today again <laughs> Things like this. I, I guess i really need to watch, listen to that i've listened to the other this is the fifth one I can't. I haven't listened to Glass, but I've listened to all the other episodes. Well, the fifth one was Bright and Alien Nation. That was also a fun one. <laughs> oh God, I can I think... only imagine, especially with like all of the. Um... We went. We went after Max Landis, like no one's business. Yes, yeah, Max Landis. <laughs> we definitely <laughs> tore him apart. Yeah. 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 I mean, if I'd been there, I'd been like, oh, and let me tell you about his dad, and that would have gone on for another hour. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you should you should totally come. You know. And, you know, much more often than this because, you know, we're having so much fun in here. Um, so anyway, the ending, I, w- I was trying to um, sort of figure out uh, what it means um, in the context of the film because I still haven't properly figured this out. So what, what are your thoughts about this? Oh, mine? Oh, that the ending is very puzzling. Um, I kind of, it's weird because he just leaves Mike there, but I'm kind of okay with that. Like I, the way I kind of, this is kind of the ending I made up in my head. Maybe you'll totally disagree with me. Is that he's just going to go live among, amongst the Mexicans and like better himself somehow? Because like, who Barry go Pepper? Kind of, yeah, Barry Pepper, Barry Pepper character. Maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> like makes, it would make sense. He would culture himself a little. Yeah, um, and Pete is just going to go back, and he might get some shit from the sheriff, but he's going to be like, I don't know, Tommy Lee Jones, come at me, bro, and he's not, and. Uh, it, things will probably you know somewhat go back to normal it's it's mike that's more of the question mark yeah no because i'm uh, i was also kind of just thinking in, co- in the context of the sort of the lie that melchior has told pete about his family not being his family uh and the house being unfinished in a, in a in the sort of village not existing it's all 
very sort of i mean i want to say it's thought provoking because i because i keep thinking about this but I, yeah it's it's very ambiguous at least to me i mean uh, carson carson had a had you, you had a sort of um a little bit more definite sort of viewpoint on this but yeah i have a feeling that this is specifically sort of left in and at least slightly ambiguous oh yeah um there have been some theories uh i didn't quite know how to read it the the first time i saw the film when the woman sees the polaroid i the way i read the situation is that she didn't have a relationship with melchiades at all maybe he was someone who worked nearby or something like that but some people have read it as that maybe she started panicking because she had an affair with him or something she doesn't want her husband to know i it, it is very um vague yeah, I it could be yeah. but i understand why he lied and i not necessarily because like, i'm not from a personal standpoint i i don't lie about my past <laughs> to that extent but uh I understand why he lied. And I've, I've known people who've lied like that, or, you know, or you, you, you come across a story like that where they're just so unhappy that they make up something and hope that it's true. I mean, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is something that he was leaving for America um, because he thought, Oh, when, when, maybe when I make something of myself, she will leave his husband, her husband, and then and be with me or something like this. And meanwhile, he meets Tommy Lee Johnson. Apparently, they're they're now in a in a relationship. So, <laughs> so you know. Well, uh, I, if, if it is a bisexual story, I'm just glad that there's no suffering in it because. Uh, yeah, well, there's quite there's quite a bit of suffering. I don't know. I've I read a. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the film Freefall. It, I don't know if you go check it out, but the one of the reasons Letterbox cracked me up is is like, is this just what bisexual people do? just suffer because it's like about a guy getting torn apart like are you gay or are you straight and i'm just like why is this even a debate you know <laughs> it's with men and women like calm down and like i don't know take a nap or something but uh they were sleeping <laughs> with each other and sleeping with women it doesn't seem to be an issue in the in this film at all so it's like yeah who cares the suffering isn't because like they're gay no it's because they're bisexual yeah, yeah. it's like it's like having to choose or some crap, which, yeah, needs. I don't know. That's a totally different discussion. And <laughs> no. So yes. I <laughs> so I think I think yeah. It's one of those signs that I think we're we're kind of running out of juice on on the film. We <laughs> <laughs> were just like I don't know, operating almost exclusively on tangents now. So I have a thing. This is a this is a good time um to bring this to a close and then just i don't know just go around the table and then see if you know what kind of a day in the mind this was right so you know uh what do you guys think do you think melchiad or three burials of melchiades estrada because it has has been for lack of a better word forgotten like even though it has been lauded critically acclaimed got a few a few good awards to it to its name and then no one cares Mm. um has this been unfairly forgotten and then should you know and is this worthy of reappraisal and um i don't know bringing some more attention to it what do you think final final thoughts i'll let carson go first yeah i mean i'll just say absolutely i mean i think this is incredibly relevant incredibly powerful incredibly important for the political state specifically america but you know, really the entire world with the current immigration, you know, issues throughout a global context. Um, this is damn near, like I said, a masterpiece. This is my favorite film we've discussed on Uncut Gems. So I think like 
this is, I would say, absolutely a full-on gem. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I watched this in the first place before this, uh, oh my gosh, before this podcast even existed, is that I thought, I think this film is good. Why is no one talking about it? I'm just like, I bet that this is really solid. I just had a good feeling about it. And watching, I was like, I, I, there's there's so many films like that that kind of fall through the cracks. They're like, no one sees them. They're not even lauded. They don't even get any press. Fortunately, this one did. But with this one in particular, it, it's something that should be talked about a lot more or should at least be canonized with a certain, you know, subgenre of film. Um, so it, in my mind, it is an, it's an uncut gem. It's definitely not a bomb or something to skip over. Yeah, definitely not a horse apple. <laughs> As, um, I don't know if you've seen, if you've seen uh, in one of the uh, previous, in, in episode five, I think, for uh, Bright, I think I, I, I actually included the uh, little clip from the Shawshank Redemption when they talk about horse apples. Um, but anyway, <laughs> The Three Burials of Melchiorelles Estrada. I liked it when I saw, first saw it, and now I'm absolutely in love with this film. And the more I talk about it, the more in love with it I am. And I'm absolutely aghast at the fact that this is this film has been forgotten and it shouldn't be forgotten because it actually is like as we've just talked about this it it continues to be relevant it continues to inspire and continues to um uh i think it just it for something that is for lack of a better word um a feature debut from a from an actor turning to direct to directing it's something to be proud of and then even even if, if he had 10 films before under his belt it would still be a great piece of filmmaking to come out of uh tommy de johnson's sort of uh, hand so i have like, this this is pretty much my opinion like, i think this this is one of those films that fulfills the sort of definition of why we're doing this because the film is a is a great i don't know for like quote-unquote masterpiece that for some reason has been covered by the sands of time and it's our job to uncover it put it on the shelf and tell people go and watch this it's absolutely amazing there's be- beautiful performances a beautiful beautiful storytelling it's just it's beautiful to look at as well because we haven't really just talked enough about the cinematography in this as well it's just it's just a beautiful film all around so i think i'm i'm in we're in total agreement in here that it is yeah another one of those um, films that we can you know Call an uncut gem. So yeah, um, you can stream the Three Burials of Mercedes Estrada, which is also I think titled Three Burials in the US for some reason. Um, in you can stream it in the US on Amazon Prime for free. So go and do this, and you can also rent it from a whole range of places if you if you want to. In the UK, you can't rent, you can't stream it for free. You can only rent it from like Google and YouTube for some reason. Um, but you can you can stream the Homesman on Amazon Prime, which I will definitely do because I'm kind of I don't know at odds with myself now. Um, but how? Yeah. But anyway, the, the film has I think a, a good decent um, physical release. You can you can find it on DVD and Blu-ray, so you can it's very easy to get a hold of it. Which is yeah another reason to get a hold of it and watch it. Uh, and I think that's it. You know. So this is this is it for. The, uh, this episode of Uncle Gems podcast. So, where can we find you all on social media, Hillary? Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose so. Uh, I think the only place you can really find me right now is um, on Letterboxd, and I am at Laudanum at thirty three. Um, and I also write. I've written a blog for years and years called The Holy Shrine. You can find my thoughts on film there. Carson. 
You can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews or on Letterboxd, just Carson Tamar. And you can find me at uh, Talk About Film on Twitter and, and at, as um, Jakob Flash on Letterboxd. And you can read all our stuff on Clapper and all other places. And then you can also follow the show. You should follow the show on Twitter at Uncle James Pod. So you make sure to follow, like, retweet our stuff because it does help us reach the audiences that I hope we sorely deserve. We're like the Uncut Gem anyway. Um, so if you want to get in touch with us, you can always you know, tweet at us or you can email us at uh, uncutgemspod at gmail.com. So if you want to sound off about the three barrels of Melchiades Estrada or any other film we've covered um, or just say hi or I don't know, just talk, tell us that how wrong we are about certain things. Just this is how you do it. Um, so we can also show support uh, to this cause by donating a little bit of your moolah <laughs> on ko-fi.com uh, slash uncutgemspod and then just it does you know it will help us keep our, keep our lights on so that's great uh, you can find the show on Anchor and all major platforms so Apple Spotify whatever it, we're all there now so be sure to tune in next week when we will be staying with these sort of um, neo-western vibes but doing them a little bit differently because we'll be also traveling back in time a bit to discuss the 1962 film directed by David Miller and starring uh, Kirk Douglas, Walter Matthau and Gina Rollins among others called Lonely Are the Brave. So be sure to tune in and listen to that and with that I hope you all have a fabulous day and we will see you next week. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.